All right, well, if you have your Bibles tonight, turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, continuing our study in the, the book of 1 Kings, we'll be in verses 19 through 29 tonight. And the title of the message tonight is Crickets. Crickets. And you'll understand more of what that's talking about as we go along. But I want to read all the text in verses 19 through 29. Remember, Elijah has confronted King Ahab. And he comes up to him now and he says in verse 19, Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal and the four hundred prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. But the people answered Him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire... He is God. So all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out of them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now remember, when King Ahab went out to meet Elijah, remember he accused Elijah of being the troublemaker in the land, right? He accused Elijah of offending Baal, and therefore that's the reason there was a drought. That's the reason there was no rain being sent, because this so-called God of the storms or God of nature, Baal, was offended because of Elijah. But Elijah turned it right back around on him, right? Elijah knew who the real troublemaker was. Elijah knew why the trouble was actually being caused in the first place. And so, backing up to verse 18, it says he turned uh, his Ahab's words against him. He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you have forsaken the commands of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Uh, Elijah reminded him, hey, you're the troublemaker. You're the reason for the trouble because all the way back uh, in the uh, Old Testament, 
Guess what? God said what would happen if you turned to idol worship. He said he had sinned a drought. He said, Ahab, this is your fault. And so now in verse 19, Elijah really throws down the gauntlet to Ahab. He issues this challenge to Ahab to see who the real God actually is. And to prove his point, Elijah proposes what is probably the greatest religious showdown in the history of the world. It was Baal against the Lord God of Israel in a winner-take-all Royal Rumble match on the top of Mount Carmel that even Braxton Bobo would pay the pay-per-view fee for. I mean, this was going to be a fire match, right? The stakes were very high in this because the religious destiny of God's people was weighing in the balance here. In one corner, there was Baal, right? The so-called storm god of the Canaanites. He had all his backers with him. He had his 850 false prophets in his corner with him. 450 of Baal, 400 of Asherah. And by the way, notice it says these prophets ate at Jezebel's table. In other words, they were government-sponsored. And if you ever encounter a religion sponsored by the government, you better run as fast as you can. Because that is going to be nothing but a humanistic, pagan form of religion. Just like Roman Catholicism was in the days of Rome. Just like it will be in the days of the Great Tribulation. This was a government-sponsored religion. And so that was in one corner. Well, we see in the other corner stood the Lord God of heaven and earth, the only true and living God, and he had only one prophet with him, and that was the prophet Elijah. And so as any good fight does, this fight needed a big crowd, right? A big crowd to come in and, and cheer uh, the, the, the fight on. And so in verse 20, it says, So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. So they're all gathered together. Uh, you can sense the energy in the air. and You can, you can sense in your mind, thinking the, the theater of your mind, as Dr. Neil Clark would say, and see the people just cheering and in a frenzy and ready for this battle to take place. And so when everybody got there, when the people of Israel got there, and they're sitting in their, their uh, uh, chairs or standing, however they're watching this, they're in their places. And it says in verse 21, Elijah came to all the people and said... Now, I think this took these people by surprise. They're there, excited. They're there, ready for a fight. I don't think they thought in their mind that Elijah would confront them with these words. He come up and he confronted them and he said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. You hear that outside? Crickets. Not a, not a sound. That's how they respond. Look at the end of verse 21. It says, But the people answered him not a word. Silence. This is the first of two moments of silence that we're going to encounter in this narrative that we're going to kind of focus on tonight. But these moments of, of silence actually speak volumes to us if we really think about this. This first one here shows us that the people of Israel did not know where they had actually placed their ultimate allegiance. I mean, they didn't know which God they trusted in. They wanted to have a little bit of Baal, but they wanted to have a little bit of Yahweh too. They wanted to have a little bit of this idol, but they also wanted to have a little bit of the true God. 
But Elijah confronted him and he said, Hey, you have to make a decision. You must make a decision. Elijah accused these people of Israel of faltering between two opinions, or some translations say limping between two opinions. He used a word here for someone who is lame or someone who is crippled. You see, these Israelites were limping along, hobbling through life like they were crippled because they were trying to straddle the fence, because they were trying to have it both ways. It's kind of like they were uh, had one foot in a racing shoe and the other foot had a ball and chain shackled to it. And so they were trying to run, but they were having to drag that idol along with them at the same time. They had one foot on a path of obedience, and one foot was stuck down in the ditch of bondage to idol worship. And so Elijah wanted to know just one thing. How long are you going to flip-flop? How long are you going to waver or limp between these two opinions? These people had a divided heart, is what they had. They wanted to worship the Lord God of Israel, but still enjoy a little bit of casual Baal worship mixed in with it. And Christians, sometimes we try to do the same thing. Sometimes we try to lead lives just like they were leading. Rather than letting God be our all in all, we try to make room for a little lust, or we try to make room for a little self-indulgence or a little materialism. And so we limp along through life like a crippled instead of walking and running steadily for the Lord Jesus Christ. James said in James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable. Yes. You cannot do that. You cannot walk steadily for the Lord and waver between two opinions. And so Elijah demanded that these people make up their minds. Uh, Moses demanded the same thing. In Exodus chapter 32, uh, verse 26, he made the same demand when he uh, came down from the mountain and he saw those people of God worshiping the golden calf. You remember what he said? He said, who's on the Lord's side? Follow me. If you're on the Lord's side, follow me. And Joshua made the same demand as Moses did at Moses' death. In Joshua twenty four fifteen. Uh, he said to the children of Israel, Choose this day whom you, will, whom you will serve. And this same demand comes to every person in every generation. How long will you limp or waver between two opinions? That is the question we all must answer. If it's the Lord God, the true God, follow Him. If He is really the true God, follow Him. But if not, quit playing around. Follow the world. Follow the idols. Give yourself wholeheartedly one way or the other because you cannot waver between two opinions. It does not work. We cannot straddle the fence, the Bible says. The God of Elijah is exclusive. The God of Elijah has no rivals. The Bible says that our God will not share His glory with another. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, that he who is not with me is against me. He also said in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. Listen, God wants our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, and all our strength. He wants us wholeheartedly. So we need to ask ourselves, have we given ourselves wholeheartedly to God? Or are we still dragging around that ball and chain of the love of the world. We must stop wavering between two opinions if we're really going to follow the Lord. And here, I think we see in this text is one way to test that. 
There's at least one test here to tell whether or not we're limping between two opinions. Those people Elijah confronted were silent when he confronted them. But someone who's living fully for the Lord is not silent. They're not silent. They don't keep the Lord to themselves. When the waverer here is asked about spiritual things like the Israelites here at Carmel were by Elijah, they're not quite sure what to say. Really? Uh, They don't know what to say. But when a Christian is asked about spiritual things, a Christian who's really living for the Lord, really walking steadily for the Lord, they're able to give a bold testimony for their faith in the Lord God. They're, they're, They're ready to and they're willing to. If you're really living for the Lord. And when a spiritual topic comes up in a conversation or when somebody asks an important question about life, we should be ready to, to give a clear answer to them that honors and glorifies the living God. should be ready to do that. Elijah was ready to do that. That's what Elijah did. Elijah was ready to give a defense for the hope that lay within himself. He was ready to give a defense for the faith, for his faith in God. And he had a... In this instance, there's a two-part strategy he used for this. <clears throat> there's a, the strategy of disproof of the false god, Baal. But there's also going to be his strategy of proof of the living God. We're going to see the disproof tonight in the false god, Baal. And that's what he begins with. And when he begins this strategy of disproving this false god, I want us to notice that he uses really good sportsmanship here. I mean, he, he's a lot better, sp- better sport than I am. <laughs> I tend to get mad and, you know, want to try to uh, do whatever it takes to win, even if it means cheating. But Elijah doesn't do that. He's a good sport. He gave his opponents every advantage they could get. I mean, he gave them home court advantage. He gave them 450 to 1 odds, right? 450 profits against one profit. That's pretty good odds. Most people in their right mind would bet on the 450, right? Also, he gave them their choice of the bulls. In 22 through 24, it says, Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves. So they're choosing first. Cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And then I'll prepare the other bull, because they chose first. And lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, He is God. And so all the people answered and said, That's a good idea. It is well spoken, is what they said. Hey, we'll go for that, they said. And so I think Elijah let them choose the bull first, just in case they wanted to use that as an excuse. Hey, he chose the best bull. That's why his God went off. He let them choose the bull first. And then Elijah let the prophets of Baal go first. He gave them first opportunity to do this. Verse 25, it says, Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first. You prepare your bull first for your many. And call on the name of the Lord your God, but put no fire under it. So he said, you go first. You have all the advantage. Whoever succeeds in calling down fire from their God, that's the true God. That is the winner. Notice that this entire contest played into what was supposedly Baal's strengths. This played to his strengths all the way as his, uh, he's supposed to be this god of the storms, right? And so as god of the storm, uh, fire ought to be right up his alley. 
I mean, why couldn't the God of the storms, why wouldn't he be able to send down at least one good lightning bolt and set this bull on fire? Why would he not be able to do this? And all this shows that Elijah has absolute confidence in his God. Complete confidence in the Lord God of Israel. Elijah went up on the mountain. He confronted the culture. He confronted all the crowd. He confronted 850 false prophets. He was not afraid of how many of them there were. He was not afraid of how good their arguments were. He was not intimidated by them at all. And he did not keep silent, by the way, in the face of all of that. Elijah didn't keep silent. Why wasn't he afraid? Because Elijah knows that ultimately all idols fail us. All false gods fail. Every one of them. And he knew that. He knew his God would come out on top. And that's precisely what happened. Despite the fact that Baal's prophets did everything they could, everything they could imagine to call down this fire, even to the point of mutilating themselves, cutting themselves, Baal never answered a word. Verse 26 tells us as much. It says, So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. Baal was a complete failure. A total failure. 100% failure. Once the prophets of Baal had gone through all these motions, all this calling down upon Baal and all this hooping and hollering and jumping around they were doing, notice what Elijah does. Elijah begins to mock them. And he begins to mock Baal. It says in verse 27, And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud! Cry louder! For he is a god, right? And this is, this is what's so funny. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. Now what kind of god is that? I mean, he's mocking them. He said, maybe Baal, maybe he's over there in deep thought and he's just not paying attention to you. So holler a little bit louder. Or maybe he's busy. And this is really what tickles me. This word that he uses for busy here in the original language, it says this. Maybe he's in the men's room. Maybe he's using the bathroom. That's what that literally means. And then he says, maybe Baal's taking a nap or maybe he's on a journey. Holler louder and see if you can wake him up. I mean, this is so ridiculous. A lot of people are offended by this. You know, it's just not right for Elijah to make fun of these people's gods. Right? Elijah's making fun of them. He's, he's, he's uh, mocking them because he doesn't deserve any respect because he's not real. He's imaginary. And he's leading people to a, to a false hope. He's, leaving, he's leading people to a destiny and eternity in hell because there is no other God but the God of Israel. Compared to the Lord God Almighty, any other deity is a total joke. That's right. And that's what Elijah's saying here. And so there's no need for us to limp between two opinions. It's total foolishness. It's complete uh, idiocy. The Lord is God. Amen. There is no other. Amen. If we're faltering between another idol and the Lord, we are wasting our time. 
The Bible says all other gods are dumb, deaf, and silent. In other words, they're fake. Well, one of the best things, though, about the living God, about the true God, is that He does hear and answer our prayers. Remember when we started this study in 1 Kings, or, or about Elijah, that is, it began in the book of James, if you'll remember, of all places. You remember what James said in James five sixteen through 18. He said, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So as remember, as the apostle James examined the ministry of the prophet Elijah, what was the one thing that popped out at him? What was the one thing he said distinguished the character of Elijah? It was his prayer life. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. He pointed out his prayer life. And notice at the outset of this showdown, notice what Elijah said in verse 24. He said to him, You call upon the name of your God, and I will call, or pray, upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, He is God. So the showdown on Mount Carmel was really all about what? It was really all about which God is able to answer prayer. That's what this showdown is all about. A true God can answer answer prayer. A fake God cannot. The whole contest was going to be settled on the basis of answered prayer as the proof of who the real God was. So what about Baal? Could Baal answer prayer? No. It's foolish to think he could. He didn't have a chance. The second instance of crickets here on Mount Carmel was the silence of a God, a so-called God, who did not and could not answer prayer. Because this is a God that is no God at all. So there were crickets the first time Baal's prophets prayed, right? They were making a lot of noise. They were hooping and hollering and jumping around and, and trying to work up some emotional experience. By the way, true worship, there's emotion involved in true worship. But there does not have to be some crazy emotional experience to have true worship for Almighty God. That's mostly what you see in pagan worship. And so they made a lot of noise. But verse 26 says, There was no voice, and no one answered them. These prophets of Baal, they didn't like that sound. They didn't like the sound of silence. Why? Because they knew what it meant. They knew Baal wasn't hearing them. They knew their prayers were not being answered, and so they erupted into that desperate frenzy of dancing and hooping and hollering and shouting and cutting themselves. Verse 28 says, They cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out upon them. But as the day went by, and as darkness got closer, as it, as, uh, it got closer to sunset, only crickets were heard from Baal at Mount Carmel. Verse 29, it says, When midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one 
paid attention. Three times it's repeated. Whenever you see that repetition in Scripture like that, that's the biblical way of adding exclamation points. It's putting emphasis on it. He did not answer. Baal did not respond. He did not answer, it says. He did not even pay attention. This is because Baal was an absolute zero. He was a a triple zero is really what we can equate it to. One Bible scholar that I read said, The Lord God of Elijah is holy, 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 but Baal was nothing, nothing, nothing. And that's what this is pointing out. And so this Royal Rumble fire match at Mount Carmel was really a mismatch from the very beginning. This was not a match at all. So the second great silence here on the mountain proved the absolute futility and foolishness of worshiping an idol. Any idol, Baal, any idol at all. It's absolutely foolish to worship them. His prophets, though, notice his prophets, the prophets of Baal. We can't fault them for a lack of commitment, right? I mean, they were gung-ho. They were committed to what they were doing. But listen to me, there's more to true religion than a fierce commitment. You can be fiercely committed to something and be 100% wrong. The only thing that really matters is that you're worshiping the right God. You have to be 100% about that. It has to be the, the God of the Bible because all other gods are dead. Psalm 135, 15 through 17, the psalmist says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath uh, in their mouths. They're dead. All false gods are dead. No false god, no idol in this world can answer your prayers. None. That includes a successful career. A successful career cannot answer your prayers. That includes a rich, luxurious lifestyle. That's what Americans chase after. That's not going to answer our prayers. That includes material wealth of any kind. It cannot answer your prayers. That includes a a desire for sexual gratification. That cannot answer your prayer. That includes the government. The government cannot answer your prayers. But if we're not careful, all or any one of those things can become an idol in our life. Any one of those things can become a false god in our life. And we may find ourselves bowing down before them, giving them uh, money, giving them our time, giving them our loyalty. We may find ourselves offering them our affection. We may come to a point where we're wavering between two opinions amongst those things. Trying to live for God over here and trying to do all these things in the world over here. We may easily come to that point. But the fact of the matter is, those are not true gods. And they cannot answer our prayers. They'll always disappoint us when we need them the most. When we're lonely, they cannot hear us. When we're sick, they cannot heal us. And when we're dying, they will not be there to help us. None of those things will. But worst of all, those false gods cannot forgive us in order to save us. They cannot do it. We need to understand something about this whole incident here at Mount Carmel that I don't think a lot of people realize. What the people of Israel were really praying for at Mount Carmel was forgiveness 
of sin. For atonement for their sins. That's why they sacrificed a bull. That's why they shed the blood of this bull. They thought they were going to get forgiveness. But listen, false gods cannot answer such prayers. Baal could not answer such a prayer. They, a false god cannot accept atonement for sin, and they certainly cannot forgive sin. They cannot do it. But the true God can. Yes. The true God can answer our prayers. He can accept atonement for sin, and He, he can forgive us of all our sins. He is the God who speaks and is not silent. Mm-hmm. He's not a dead God. And the ultimate proof of that came when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Amen. You know, the accounts of Jesus' crucifixion close by reporting this. They all say that Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now imagine what would have happened if Jesus had offered this final prayer to Baal. Crickets. It would have been crickets. No one would have responded. No one would have answered. No one would have paid attention because no other God could have heard His final words from the cross or answered His dying prayer by accepting the sacrifice that He made for my sin and for your sin. And no other God could have raised Him from the dead for our salvation because they're all false gods. There is no other God. But praise the Lord, Jesus Christ prayed to the only true and living God, the God of Israel, the God of Elijah, and the God of Elijah heard that prayer and he answered it by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Folks, there is only one true God. And he is the God who answers prayers and he answers them to accomplish our salvation. So listen to me. If you cry out to him, the God of Israel, the God of Elijah, you won't hear crickets. You won't hear silence. The living God is a God that answers prayers. You cry out to Him with your broken heart. You cry out to Him with your problems. You just go to Him for any reason at all. You go to Him for salvation. He's going to hear your prayer. One way or the other, He's going to answer you. That's the God Elijah served. That's the God we serve. And praise the Lord, that's the one we're going to see win this Royal Rumble on Mount Carmel here in about another week. That's right. Aren't you glad we got a God like that? Amen.